0: One of the questions that we sometimes ask as human beings is Does God care? Does God care about us? Does God care about my needs? Does God care about my heart? When we're going through a tough time financially, we wonder, does God care that I'm struggling financially? When we go through a hard time emotionally, we'll wonder, does God care about my heart, my broken heart? When we go through a hard time physically, does God care about my broken body? When we go through a hard time spiritually, Does God care about my soul? The answer is yes. And tonight, we're going to talk about how we know that. As we see how God is our provider. We're going to start a brand new series. Four-week series called Standing Alone. It's based on the life of Elijah. Elijah was probably the greatest prophet in Israel's history, and he prophesied at a time when it was really, really hard to stand up for God, because the king and the queen and everybody around them had abandoned God. We'll talk about that in just a second when I set the stage for you. And so uh, Elijah was the prophet who stood up for God when everyone else around him was bowing down to idols, and everyone around him was bowing down to idols. Elijah went through depression, Uh, he went through fear, Uh, he knew hunger, he knew uh, loneliness. And so uh, we're going to see ourselves in Elijah, and we're going to learn how God is there for us in our greatest times of need. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we begin this four-part series. On the life of Elijah, I've always wanted to preach on the life of Elijah. I'm fascinated by the life of Elijah, and I hope that something in this message tonight will resonate in you, and will resonate with your story. So, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at First Kings 17 tonight. We're going to take the next four weeks and look at the end of the book of First Kings and the beginning of the book of Second Kings. Um, we um, started this year by, uh, we're going to spend the entire year in the Old Testament learning about the Bible Jesus read. And so we're going to do some character studies. We're going to do some famous stories. Uh, after this series, we're going to do a series through Psalms and Proverbs over the summer. Uh, and then in the fall, we'll do some famous Old Testament stories. We've got lots of ground to cover. The Old Testament's pretty big, uh, 39 books uh, to be exact. Uh, about two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. Um, but we're going to see how this Old Testament character Elijah, the prophet of God who lived about 850 years before Jesus was born. We're going to learn how his story applies to us today. Okay? Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Bible app on your phone like Bible Gateway or YouVersion or follow along with the GFCC app. If you haven't gotten our app yet, go to your app store, search for GFCC, and you can download the app to your phone in just a matter of seconds. You can follow along with the sermon notes. You can uh, get, give your tithes and offerings through the app. You can also uh, read, uh, get text notifications as well as read the bulletin in the newsletter. Okay, so there's lots of stuff you can do in the app. Uh, but like I said, we're in 1 Kings 17 tonight. And let me tell you a little bit about what was going on in Israel at the time. If you all remember, several weeks ago, we talked about David and Bathsheba. And how David killed Uriah's wife, took uh, how David killed Bathsheba's husband Uriah, and took her to be his wife. Um, When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, God pronounced some curses on David's family. And one of them was that the kingdom of Israel was going to be split. And sure enough, after Solomon, David's son Solomon, left the throne, his two sons split the kingdom of Israel. There was the northern part of the kingdom, which was Israel, the southern part of the kingdom was Judah. And after the nation was split, uh, things were never the same, never the same in Israel after David's sin with Bathsheba. Um, So through generations, uh, one king after another, they were wicked. They did terrible things. They tried to turn Israel into worshiping uh, the false gods of the pagan nations around them until Ahab comes along. King Ahab was probably the most wicked king in Israel's History. Ahab married a Canaanite woman from the region of Sidon. Her name was Jezebel. You've all heard the name Jezebel before? Okay, so Jezebel was a wicked pagan queen. And Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal or Baal, as it's sometimes pronounced. And so Jezebel worshipped Baal. Her father was the king of Sidon and the priest of Baal. And so this is deeply seated in her, her religion, her pagan religion is deep within her. And when she marries Ahab, she convinces Ahab to basically stop worshiping Yahweh and instead start worshiping Baal. And they tear down all the altars to God throughout Israel and they erect altars to Baal And Asherah poles. Asherah was the goddess of fertility. Baal was the pagan god of fertility. Okay? Little g god, little g goddess, fertility. Elijah is called by God to be his prophet at this time. Now, Ahab came to power in 874 BC. So 875 years or so before the birth of Jesus, Ahab comes to power Jezebel comes with him, and Elijah starts to prophesy against Ahab. Now, Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah have several encounters that we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. Um, so in 1 Kings 17, we see the story of how Elijah uh, is going to ruin Ahab's day. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1 begins this way. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, in other words, whom you're not serving, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. (coughs) Excuse me. So Elijah tells Ahab, it isn't going to rain and there's not even going to be morning dew for the next few years until I give the word. And there's gonna and the book of James says that it didn't rain for three and a half years. Could you imagine if it didn't rain or there was no morning dew, if there was a complete and total drought and famine for three and a half years? Oh my goodness, that'd be devastating, wouldn't it? It'd be absolutely devastating to the agriculture, to the animals, to the people. It'd be devastating. So let me, uh, oh, let me show you a map real quick. I want to show you something here. Um, so this is. Uh, Israel, about 850 years before the birth of Jesus. The bottom box down here, the bottom box is where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are. I put that there for reference so you kind of know where I'm talking about. If you go to the northeast, you'll see the region of Gilead, and that's where Elijah was from. It was east of the Jordan River, it was southeast of the Sea of Galilee, uh, and it was northeast of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Okay, so that's where we're talking about this part of the world. Now, to the southwest, It's off of this map, actually, but you get to the region where Jezebel was from, Sidon. Okay? We'll talk about that in just a second. So that's where, pretty much where Tishbe was, where Elijah was from. So Elijah is going to, uh, he pronounces a famine, he pronounces a drought on the land. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here. Turn eastward, all right, he's in the capital city in Samaria. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Careth Ravine east of the Jordan. So he is now east of the Jordan River in a, in a ravine uh, where water flows through in the crags and the, and, the, uh, and the caves. He says, you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Now, remember, there's no rain. There's going to be no rain, no dew. And yet God provides water for Elijah. Not only that, but he provides meat and bread from the ravens. Now, here's something interesting about ravens. In the Old Testament, God declared certain animals unclean. In other words, you couldn't eat them. And you weren't supposed to have anything to do with them. Ravens are really big birds. They're bigger than crows. I read that uh, the wingspan of a raven can be up to 50 inches. That's four feet. Four feet. These are big birds. And so these big birds are coming to bring food to Elijah. Bread and meat. Now here's the other interesting thing about ravens. Is ravens don't eat regular meat. They don't go to KFC and get a chicken. They eat carrion. In other words, they eat dead animals. And so the meat that they are bringing to Elijah is dead animal. In other words, it's unclean. So you have unclean animals bringing unclean food to Elijah. Now, Elijah wasn't supposed to eat it. He wasn't supposed to have anything to do with it. God told him to eat it. And I think that this is the reason why. God cares more about people than he does about religion. Now, think about that for just a second. He cares more about people than religious customs. And when we as a church start to care more about religious customs and less about people, I think we start moving further away from the heart of God. That's my opinion. People matter most. Elijah mattered more than the religious Customs of Israel. Does that make sense? Okay, good. (laughs) Just not up here. (laughs) All right, it's everybody. Great. Um, So, Elijah is in the ravine, drinking from the brook, eating the meat, the unclean meat, and the bread that is being brought to him by the ravens. Another interesting little thing is that they bring him meat and bread in the morning, meat and bread in the evening. In other words, God provided just enough for morning and evening. He didn't bring him like a, a Tupperware container full of, like, you know, dead animal. He didn't have a refrigerator to put it in. No, it was enough for morning and evening. Verse 7 Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephtha, uh, Zareph- uh, Zareph- uh, Zareph- sorry, in the region of Sidon and stay there. Now, who's from Sidon? Jezebel. Jezebel's from Sidon. It's pagan land. It's Gentile land. What is God doing? Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephtha. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Notice that phraseology. The Lord whose God? Your God, Elijah. Elijah, as the Lord your God lives. In other words, not her God, she replied. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Hmm. God is interesting sometimes. He tells this Jewish prophet, Elijah, to go to the pagan land of Canaan, Sidon, where Queen Jezebel is from, this center of pagan worship, Gentiles, and and he says, I have directed a widow who is most likely a pagan Gentile. She's going to feed you, Elijah. Elijah's okay. Then he goes and meets her. She's gathering up some sticks to make a fire. She's got just a little bit of flour, a little bit of olive oil. She's going to make one last meal for her and her, her young son, and they're going to starve to death. They're starving to death. It has not rained in quite some time. The brook has dried up where Elijah was staying. There's no land, uh, no rain in the land, no dew to water the, the plants. People are starving to death. And they're going to die. Other interesting things about this story. You have Elijah, this Jewish man. Who goes up and starts talking to a Gentile pagan woman. That's a no-no. In Jewish custom, that's a big no-no. Never, never mind the fact that it was historically and culturally a no-no. Again, God sometimes does things outside the box. He really does. You know, sometimes we want to put God in a box, don't we? We'll put God in a box. Just say, okay, you know, this is how it has to be. This is God, and this is what He does, and this is what He. And God loves to shatter boxes. I really think he does. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I love his style. Out of all the people on earth, Out of everyone on earth, Elijah goes to this widow's house and shares some faith with her. He goes to this widow's house, and God miraculously provides for this widow, for her son, and for Elijah. And he did it in a miraculous way. She's she remember, all she had was a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, make one last loaf of bread, and we're done. We're going to die. Didn't happen. God miraculously provided. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Things take a turn for the worse. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Elijah questions God. He questions God. Think about that for just a second. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Hmm. There's three lessons I want us to learn from this passage and one takeaway. The first lesson is this. God miraculously provided for Elijah and the widow's physical needs. God miraculously provided for Elijah and the widow's physical needs. When Elijah was in the Kareth Ravine, God miraculously provided through the ravens. When he went to this woman's house, this widow's house, and stayed with her and her child, he provided for their physical needs, miraculously. It wasn't a fluke, and it wasn't a coincidence. God miraculously provided for Elijah and the widows physical needs. Second lesson is this. God miraculously provided for Elijah and the widows emotional needs. For their emotional needs. When the son dies, the widow is distraught obviously. She is angry at Elijah and she is angry With the God she is starting to believe in. Not only that. Elijah is angry with God. Elijah questions God. And what God was doing. And God miraculously provided for their emotional needs. By raising this young child back to life. Lesson three. God miraculously provided for Elijah and the widow's spiritual needs. Remember, this is a Gentile pagan woman. Probably a worshiper of Baal. Probably one who did not believe in the one true God at all. And yet, God provides... By raising her son back to life, by miraculously providing through the the oil and the flour, God provides in such a way that their faith is increased, including Elijah's faith. Because Elijah was questioning God, God, what are you doing? I don't get this at all. You bring me here to this woman's house. You provide for all of our needs, And then you kill her son? What's going on with that? So Elijah had doubts. The widow had doubts. And God miraculously provides for their spiritual needs. So here's the takeaway for us God knows your need, and He will provide for you physically emotionally, and spiritually. God knows your need and he will provide for you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let's talk about those three things for just a second. Your physical needs. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe you don't know how God is going to provide. Maybe it's Middle of the month and there's still not enough money. There's not another paycheck for another two weeks. God can provide. You know one of the ways he can provide? Through a ministry you have here at church. That's our GFCC Ministry Center of New Elliott. If you need food, or if you know someone who needs food, go to the ministry center tomorrow. Sunday, April the 11th from 1 to 3 p.m. Go to the ministry center and get some food. God can use our church to provide for you. God can provide for your physical needs. Maybe it's a physical need of physical healing. Maybe your body is breaking down and you need physical healing. When was the last time you prayed and asked God to heal your body? When was the last time you asked God to provide for your needs? Why well, don't I like pray for myself? I feel so selfish when I pray for yourself. I pray for myself. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Jesus said that your heavenly father knows your every need before you even ask him, before you even ask him. So ask him. Because what we'll do is sometimes we put more faith in ourselves than we put in God. We'll put more trust in ourselves than we put in God. It's like, I got to take care of this need myself. No, you need to, you need to pray and ask God. You need to trust the Lord to provide for your needs. Your physical needs, whether it's physical healing, a financial need. Trust God to provide for your needs. God can provide for your physical needs. He can also provide for your emotional needs. Maybe you're sitting there tonight. You feel so lonely. You feel so alone. You feel like everyone's abandoned you. You feel like everyone's forgotten about you. Everyone has forsaken you. And you just feel terribly lonely. You can tell God about your loneliness. You can tell him all about it. Because he's there. You can tell him all about your broken heart. The Psalms say that God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. God cares about you. The book of 1 Peter says that you can cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've forgotten that God cares about you. He hasn't. He has not forgotten about you at all. He knows right where you are. And he knows just what you need. And he cares for you and he loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And so if you feel lonely and brokenhearted tonight, if you feel like everything is against you and your heart is breaking or your heart is broken, you've lost someone you love a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, last week. I don't know. But I know this. I know God knows. And I know he cares for you. And he can provide for your emotional needs. And not only that, he can provide for your spiritual needs. And he's already done it. When your faith is weak, when your faith is on life support, that's when you need to turn to him the most. And you may think, I can't turn to God when I'm doubting. I can't turn to God when I'm angry with him. I can't turn to God when I'm despairing and when I'm depressed and when I'm questioning. I can't turn to God because he's going to be mad at me. No, he's not. He's not mad at you. I promise you that. He's not mad at you. He's compassionate. He is gracious. He is kind. He is loving. And he will provide for every need. And he can increase your faith. And if you've never taken a step of faith toward God, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith toward God. Take a step of faith toward him. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world, the one who came and died for your sins. He died for my sins. He took my place. He took your place. God punished his son Jesus instead of punishing us so that our sins could be forgiven. And if you'll believe in Jesus, believe that he's the son of God, the savior of the world, if you will repent from your sinful ways and turn to God for forgiveness, if you will confess your faith and get baptized, God's gonna, he's gonna wash away all your sins. He's gonna fill you with his Holy Spirit. God's very spirit is gonna come live inside of you and fill you with faith and transform your life from the the inside out. And he's gonna make you, he's gonna give you the very best life that you could possibly imagine. And not only that, he's going to give you an eternal life that never ends. He's going to give you spiritual blessings of hope, joy, and peace, and unconditional love that will never, ever run dry. Grace for your every failure. Love for your every need. And provision for everything you could ever want. God is your provider. He provided for Elijah, and he provided for this widow, for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, and God hasn't changed. And he will provide for you as well. So trust him. Trust him. He may do it in an unconventional way, but God can do the impossible.